360 degrees. High high, 360 degrees. High high, 306, 306, 360 degrees. High high. everyone and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. We're broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory also known to settlers as the East Bay Area in California. Tonight we're fortunate to be joined by two special guests, Erica Pang, who teaches a course at UC Berkeley High School of Business called Interpersonal Skills and Embodied Leadership. Erica teaches what many are not conscious about, deep listening, what empathy is, one of the most powerful ways to build emotional connection, and how to calm anxiety and being overwhelmed. This kind of listening is one of the most essential and underrated skills both for leaders and people who desire meaningful and fulfilling relationships. And we're also joined by Lynn Morrow, a Stanford graduate and Grammy-nominated conductor and singer who connects people through music. Dr. Morrow is a scholar of all genres of American music and leads workshops on African-American spiritual. She teaches singing and directs the Oakland Symphony Chorus Dr. Morrow has studied yoga and yogic philosophy and is a certified yoga instructor. Erica has joined us here on Full Circle several times to talk about her work and the monthly gatherings she co-leads with Dr. Morrow. They are here together to share more about how they guide people to experience positive emotional connection with themselves and others which has the profound effect of calming anxiety and stress that so many are feeling. I've been participating in their gatherings for about a year now, and I can say learning and practicing the listening, um, the gift that they share has changed my life and my relationships, especially with my family. I had to bring them here tonight. I want to offer their gift to you. This practice is invaluable. And this is Joy Moore, your host, Keep it locked right here, Full Circle, 94.1 FM, kpfa.org. Kids, but then it changed, and that's the way it is. Come on, come on. 
that's just the way it is Things will never be the same That's just the way it is Oh yeah I see no changes, all I see is racist faces. Misplaced hate makes disgrace to racist. We under, I wonder what it takes to make this. One better place, let's erase the wasted. Take the evil out the people, they'll be acting right. Cause both black and white and smoke a crack tonight. And the only time we chill is when we kill each other. It takes skill to be real time to heal each other. And although it seems ever sick, we ain't ready to see a black president. Uh, it ain't a secret of the seal, the fact of penitentiary's back, and it's filled with blacks. But some things will never change. Try to show another way, but you're staying in the dope game. Now tell me what's a mother to do. Being real, don't appeal to the brother in you. You gotta operate the easy way. I made a G today. But you made it in a sleazy way. Sell it back to the kids. I gotta get paid. But hey, well, that's the way it is. Come on. Come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. Okay, that was the great Tupac, Changes. And uh, this is Joy Moore. We're on Full Circle, the weekly show produced by Apprentices of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Joy Moore here, your host tonight. And we are honored to be joined by Dr. Lynn Morrow and a former guest, Erica Pang. Erica and Lynn, tell us how you two came together to hold your gatherings. Uh, and you're calling them Creating Calm and Connection, right? 
That's right, Joy. Thank you so much. So great to be here again with you. The first thing I'll say is Lynn and I share a common purpose in life. We both create spaces for people to gather, heal, and uplift each other together and in community. And this really is a foundation of our current work together, our monthly gatherings that we've been uh, leading since October 2020. And this common purpose of ours, it's also what brought us together in 2012. Um, that was when we forged a deep friendship, planning our very first and thrilling collaboration together. Um, that was when I organized and led a musical and cultural exchange trip to Cuba for about 30 singers from a Berkeley-based a cappella chorus that Lynn was directing. Yeah, uh, thank you, Joy, for having us. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this work. Um, and as Erica was saying, this really goes to the kind of work that we're trying to do and really using, uh, for me, music as the tool to connect to people and give them the opportunity to move their energy into the world um, through music. And uh, I met Erica because one of the singers in my chorus mentioned that he had a friend who had just returned from a trip to Cuba using dance. And he thought that she might be able to help me because he knew that I wanted to take the group to Cuba. So he introduced me to Erica in 2012 in the summer. And uh, during our first phone call, I shared what I wanted to do and talking about the African diaspora and connecting the musics of all of the Africans who were living away from the African continent uh, and studying that music. And at the time, of course, I was working with African-American spirituals and starting to dip into some uh, Latin jazz, and I was really interested in the Afro-Cuban uh, take on the Yoruba tr tradition because I was learning about the Yoruba music and religious connections for African-Americans. So that's how we met. Um, and Erica organized that trip um, for us. Yeah, um, I remember our first phone call, Lynn. I had just returned from my third trip to Cuba, uh, which was organized around dance and, and music. And I had been doing the Cuban style salsa dancing for a few years. It was changed my life. Um, and I was beginning to learn other styles of Afro-Cuban dance, um, more in the Yoruba tradition. Um, and of course, also learning some of the music and the, the drumming. So when you described your vision, of bringing your singers and having them share and exchange with Cuban musicians and, and singers. I, I remember feeling it in my body, um, just how compelled and inspired I was by that vision of, of really connecting people across circumstances, right. Through the music. Exactly. And, and that really was the, the impetus was this ability to share and introduce them uh, to a different culture, but using music that we had learned. So uh, 
one of the first things that happened too was that Erica introduced me to a friend of hers who was a singer, is a singer, and he taught me a song, which I then uh, taught to to the group, and one of our internal arrangers arranged this song, which is actually an opening to a a Yoruba uh, ceremony. And uh, we were able to take that song, and when we sang it for the drummers, when we took a drum lesson in Havana later that summer, this was in June of 2013, uh, the drummers and dancers were just amazed. You could see it in their face. They're like, oh, my God, you know the Baraswayo. It was it was very powerful. So uh, people in my group um, who were not particularly culturally diverse, um, were a little reluctant to go to Cuba because they have heard all the sort of uh, typical media descriptions of what Cuba was and had expressed some fear. And I was like, well this is what we need to do. And, you know, over time they came to understand, especially through Erica's experience that, you know, in her repeated um, travels there, that it was safe to go. Now, uh, we traveled differently when we traveled with the group, we went to hotels, but when I went first with Erica, we were staying in homes, in casas. And so it was just absolute immersion. I was staying in someone's home. There was nothing but Spanish being spoken. I'm more of a French speaker than a Spanish speaker. So it was like my two, three weeks on Duolingo and boom, I was in Havana. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that was so fun. It was Um, amazing. (laughs) It was amazing. It's magical. And it was magical when the two of us were there. And then it was just magical with your with your singers and the musicians together I mean thrilling Mm. um you know I had organized a number of performances or even just informal gatherings um and it was just you know made my heart sing just watching these people um be together and the joy um and just again like the shared humanity even though Many were not able to speak with each other um, with the different languages, and I remember. Well, that's this- right. People went to drum lessons not knowing any Spanish, but you know they were just trying to copy whatever the teacher was doing. Yeah, and you know, able to fully communicate and and be in the joy of music together. And I remember there was one evening in particular where um, I was again like standing on the sidelines watching your group perform with another Cuban group. Um, And I realized then I didn't want to just be standing on the sidelines organizing this for other people. I just felt so deeply that I wanted to be a part of this. Mm. I was just so inspired. And three months after returned from that trip, I auditioned for your group. Mm. I was terrified. Um, (laughs) And I was then officially invited to join the group. Um, But I want to mention, you know, we're talking about connection. And for sure, this trip was, I think, helping people connect with themselves as a human. Absolutely. um, A human part of the global human community, helping them connect with 
you know, people in Cuba. But for me, I also want to mention that it really helped me connect to my roots too. Um, it was meaningful because my father was a classically trained singer. Mm-hmm. He was um, like a, a classic Renaissance man, you know, chemical engineer, minored in music, sang opera, a beautiful voice. I grew up with him practicing his scales at the piano, and it just seemed normal to me. Like, that's how I grew up. I thought everybody's father did that. Um, and we sang in the church choir together. Mm-hmm. But after, I think, my high school, um, I never, I was part of the girls' chorus, but I never sang as part of a group. And um, I had looked into different groups in Berkeley, but I think I was just terrified by the audition process. And so joining your group and coming together and rehearsing and creating beautiful sounds that was beyond any individual, um, you know, really helped me reconnect with my own aliveness, but definitely with, with my father and his love for singing in a way that I, I was, had never experienced before. Mm. Yeah, that was very powerful when you told me about that. And um, I find that this happens where a parent is a musician and um, their children sort of do it it, it in youth and then disconnect from it. And so that coming back to it is very powerful when you return to it as an adult. I also wanted um, to say that often uh, people don't connect people being scientists with being musicians. And I just want to say before, you know, our current era, I'll say in the 20th century, certainly most computer people, engineers, physicians, all sorts of science people and technical people almost universally grew up as musicians studying music in some way. And here's why. Because music is symbolic language. It is nothing but symbols. What you write on the musical staff is a symbol. The way that the conductor gestures is a symbol for something. And so, uh, yeah, it is very common that anybody who grew up as a, who became a scientist, I spent um, 13 years as a computer programmer. Anybody who did that work, almost 90% grew up studying music before. Wow. I love that. I have not really heard that before, but it it makes complete sense when we were more whole humans. (laughs) That's right. These things are not separate. People often want to separate STEM from the arts, and uh, they kind of joke about STEAM, but these things are definitely connected. Um, Ancient people, our ancestors, understood that music was at the center of culture and science. Everything moves with vibration. Vibration is what music is. So those are my final thoughts, Joy. (laughs) Thank you, Lynn. That was great. You know, um, I really appreciate both of you coming on and having this conversation. And I'm reminded that just by talking with someone deeply, listening to someone deeply, you can learn so much about them. 
And I realized while you both were talking, we have another connection. I too went to Cuba several times and the same verb, life, vitality, and love of music that you all both shared, the experience you had, I felt it too. It was amazing. The people in Cuba were amazing. And I connected them on a level that I, I hadn't been able to before with um, people I didn't know. So I really want to appreciate it. And I want to let everyone know that we are speaking with Dr. Lynn Morrow um, and Erica Pang. And they are here joining us, talking about creating calm um, connections with ourselves and others. Let's take a short music break, and we'll be right back to continue this conversation. This is Joy Moore on Full Circle, 94.1 FM, KPFA. Slamming doors at you. If this is all we're living for, why are we doing it, doing it, doing it anymore? I used to recognize myself. It's funny how reflections change. And we're becoming something else. I think it's time to work. on earth could make it feel right, no, oh, 
Welcome back. This is Jordan Moore, your host. We just heard Let It Go by James Bay. Great song. I'm being joined by Dr. Lynn Morrow and Erica Pang, and we're talking about connections, deep listening, connecting ourselves with others, and uh, strengthening our relationships. So I want to talk about personal experiences, and I want to start out. I've been knowing Erica for 20 years, and we came together at a time when I needed some really strong help with communication, and Erica helped me with something called reevaluation counseling. And that was 20 years ago, and I learned a lot about connecting with myself and others. But there's something I had forgotten over the years. And again, a year ago or so, I found myself in another tight situation health-wise, and Erica just reappeared back in my life. <laughs> And she was talking again about communication. And, and again, I had to relearn or remind myself of the importance of checking in with myself personally, being honest about my health, being honest about taking care of myself, and um, listening to my body. <laughs> it, does, it sounds like a simple thing, but it's very deep. It's very important. And, and Erica and the work and the conversations that we're having in community have really helped remind me of the importance of that. So I want to tell, the, tell you both how grateful I am that you're here to share it with us. So um, tell us some more about uh, uh, how this all began, how the two of you began these conversations that you're having with community. Sure, Joy. Um, and, and yes, I'm, I'm so glad to be reconnecting with you. I'm so glad you've been joining us for about a year now. Um, and, you know, seeing the difference that it's, it's been making has just been really heartwarming. Um, so how this began, it was a few months into COVID. So, you know, maybe it was April, May, 2020. I was saddened and very distressed to be reading every day, um, in media about the turmoil that people were in. And, I live alone. I don't have children. So I wasn't going through so much of the, the chaos and confusion and overwhelm that many people, you know, with children and families were in. But regardless of the circumstances, I, I was still feeling my version of um, overwhelm um, from the situation. And, you know, I teach leaders and MBA students about the one 
factor that undermines us from connection with ourselves and others is our fight flight response. You know, our brain is constantly scanning for threats. And with COVID happening, many people weren't necessarily aware that this was happening, but their bodies were in a near constant state of physiological anxiety and overwhelm. Can you slow down just and just say that one more time? I think it, it, it bears repeating that what was going on was a constant triggering of our native scanning for threatening situations. And we were unaware of how much this was affecting us. Yeah, I, I'd be happy to. And it, it's still going on. It hasn't really stopped. But Absolutely. The function of our brain is to keep our body alive and surviving. And so, again, most of us haven't learned this. And we're not aware of this because it happens automatically deep in our brain and our body. We don't have to do anything. It's just our 24-hour alert system. So the brain is just constantly scanning for threats to our survival. And they're not necessarily even literal threats. This is how the brain has evolved over millions of years. The brain perceives threat in uncertainty because that means we're less able to predict the future when there's uncertainty. And that's a threat to our survival when we can't predict what might be happening. The brain perceives threat in loss of control um, from unfairness and from lack of safety. Uh, in our relationships or with people. All that was happening with COVID and continues to happen. And so... Well, we shouldn't um, minimize that it was also happening in our uh, cultural and political landscape when people who are different than we are were being portrayed as dangerous. Absolutely. I mean, really, COVID only exacerbated... Correct. ...what has been going on for generations, probably since this country has been colonized and founded, right? Certainly. But in the, you know, in the last four years, it was really um, very stark and continuous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, but this is the state of our physiology, walking around, we might be feeling okay, but, um, our system, our neuro-emotional system is activated. And that means a lot of things. You know, adrenaline might be coursing through our system. Glucose gets dumped by our liver into our system for for strength. Um, The heart rate may increase to prepare us to fight or flee. So, um, you know, imagine this is going on, like, almost constantly, given all of these perceived threats that the brain's picking up. Um, It's incredibly draining. It takes a lot of energy and resource to fuel this kind of alert system, the survival system. And the distress that I was feeling was just really seeing it play out how this culture has not prioritized emotional health and well-being. So most of us have not been taught what's happening in our fight-flight response and what we can do about it. And one of the things we can do about it is to build emotional connection. We're social creatures. We're social beings. 
-hmm. And there's really few things more powerful than emotional connection to help us not feel alone in moments of suffering and overwhelm. Um, You know, you may have experienced it, hopefully, um, that even in anxiety or uh, some kind of heightened state, when we do feel connected with or empathized with, it can immediately calm us. And um, sadly, most of us haven't been taught the actual skills that can help us intentionally, consciously um, be a resource for each other. Um, and these are the moments where we're, we're needing it so much. But, but again, we you know, kind of have been disabled from that. Yeah, I think even um, in sort of public conversation, in television and media, it's kind of mocked if you are reaching out to help someone else. So, so we really do need to um, build these skills. And so what's happening, as you're saying, there's a lot of social stereotyping and, and pressure, mm-hmm. and just even this whole idea of like hyper-individualism and self-reliance, these are norms that have been internalized for generations um, about not needing support, not offering support. So I, I just want to say a couple of um, uh, little sayings that people have in the culture that emphasize yeah. what you're talking about, that pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, which is ridiculous, right? You, nobody operates individually, but that's part of the culture, that you're doing something on your own. That's right. And should. Yeah. Should, if you're worthy Um, but so here's the state that it leaves us in. We are left to suffer in emotional isolation. Even those of us who are in relationships, um, there's an aloneness and we are then still going through pain and suffering. Um, again, with COVID, it just exacerbated a lot of it, but we're left to self-medicate in many, many ways, right, to numb our pain and distress. Mm -hmm. Um, Also in times we're inflicting pain on ourselves and each other as a coping mechanism. And this is what I saw happening um, shortly after COVID started. It continues to happen. And then in the beginning of June, George Floyd was murdered. People were already reeling from the threat of COVID, shelter in place. We were stretched beyond our ability to cope. There was unraveling happening, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. the protests happened. Um, and again, the blame was being put on us. Um, when again, it's really, we have not been given resources, you know, through our culture and the institutions and the systems. So people were feeling so much without really any any way to come together. Um, We couldn't really even articulate it, right? There were no real words for what was happening to us. Yeah, and I think it was getting all intertwined with anger and rage from, again, like generations. That's right. right? So I felt compelled, really probably it was the day George Floyd was murdered, to offer a space for people to gather and just show up however they were feeling and be supported through a very structured um, listening practice that 
is the cornerstone practice for my work uh, with leaders and MBA students. Um, I'd been holding these sessions every week since COVID began for people who I've worked with who were familiar with this practice, but I really felt compelled to open them to the public. So I think it was maybe a couple days after George Floyd was murdered, I had, you know, just organized this very quickly, sent it out to my network, uh, inviting people, inviting people to pass this on. And that's when you, you came to the very first session. That's right. I had this practice of um, a daily walk, which I was building um, right when COVID happened. And, you know, I was walking around in my neighborhood and literally the day before this incident in New York where uh, a white woman had accosted uh, a black man um, because he had asked her to put her dog on its leash and she became belligerent toward him. That was that became a national event uh, in in. New York in Central Park. And a day later, I was out on my walk and this guy had his dog out. And I just asked him, can you, the dog was running toward me. And I asked him to put the dog on the leash and he started cursing me out. And I I was just traumatized by that. I, as I said, I was building this um, daily walking habit and I just stopped. And um, uh, it was very traumatic for me. And thanks to this practice, I was able to actually name that. And it wasn't just this random, uh, oh, you don't want to take a walk or uh, you're overreacting. No, it was, I was traumatized. And I had language to describe what I was feeling and why I was feeling that, um, that level of distress. And so, um, Erica invited me to the workshop and part of the workshop, uh, is a breakout session where you have a one-on-one encounter with another person, uh, almost certainly that you don't know. And so I was in a, sent into a breakout session with a white man who I did not know. Uh, he, I think, had some experience um, with the structured practice. And so that gave me a little bit of confidence. Um, but I was unsure whether, you know, having just had this experience with this white guy, whether this white man in this organized practice was going to actually be able to listen to my distress. And so part of the structure is that you, a person listens to you and then repeats back in the first person what they heard you say. And I have to say, as simple as that sounds, it was deeply supporting to hear my words come back from him and it felt i felt heard because of course he had listened and he was able to reflect back to me precisely what i had said and to hear my feelings reflected back was a very profound experience and it 
immediately um, allowed me to be calm and experience those feelings of calm and um, I won't say relaxation, but lack of threat. Mm. Oh, you've, you've shared this with me. I, I know about your experience, your mm-hmm. encounter uh, with the, the man and the dog, and then the profound experience you had with this white man in the listening practice. But each time you share it, I feel enraged with yes. you, for you. and also just so um, heartened that in a brief, very structured encounter, brief, it's minutes, it's minutes, that you, even in your state of distress, are able to feel heard, seen, validated um, by by a stranger. And like you're saying, it wasn't just any stranger, it was a white man. Yes. So we've been doing this we've been holding these gatherings for about a year now. So you have now experienced that people who show up for this have a very similar experience as you. Absolutely. Um, And that the thing is, there's this unspoken, unchallenged assumption that we know how to connect. We know how to listen in ways that build connection. And that is just not true. It is absolutely not true. And I really appreciate, I'm a university professor, so I deal with students all the time. And the thing we tell them is, you know, uh, when you're listening, you're taking notes and da, 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 da. But all of this listening, as you say, is for their own benefit. It is not for the benefit of the person who's speaking. That's right. And it's not our fault. I mean, we're shaped by our culture and we're in a culture of hyper-individualism and a culture that prioritizes task and problem solving um, to support financial gain over emotional connection and our health and well-being. So we have been taught to listen from that social context and it's very self-serving and self-benefiting and the kind of listening that we're now um, offering in these gatherings it's really a completely different kind of listening to support another person to put our own reactivity or opinions or commentary on hold for just a moment and really focus on being present and witnessing and being with another person That's right. I want to add, too, um, Joy was saying earlier how uh, the practice was affecting her relationships with family, because also, even when we're listening or we're hearing um, things being said by our intimates, people with whom we live, we're often... um, not listening for their benefit, but we're, we may be trying to solve their problem, or we think we're being helpful by doing that, when actually the help would be to receive their words and really listen. That's right. And it's just over and over so profound. You know, Joy, you've experienced this too. When, when we really it's really not about the listening, right? It's really about the quality of attention and presence. Mm -hmm. And when we are in that space, again, 
you, you both have experienced, it's minutes. Each person shares for a minute and a half. We're not talking about like our life story. or um... Right. But, you know, I, I just wanted to connect it also. Um, you know, people are use this phrase, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And I, I have in the last week or so been really listening to people talk about that. And the saying that really is me is a person asking for someone to accept their humanity. Right. And, and we shouldn't have to validate our humanity to another human. And so this is one of the things that's powerful about this work is that when you actually listen to someone and then can accurately reflect back what they have said to you, just that act validates their humanity without you having to say those words. Wow. Thank you, Lynn. I want to let everybody know you're listening to Dr. Lynn Morrow and Erica Pang, and we're talking about creating calm and uh, reducing anxiety and making connection with ourselves and others. Let's take a short music break. This is Joy Moore. We'll be right back. We're here on Full Circle 94.1 FM KPFA. Stay tuned. Wait in the water. Wait in the water, children, wait in the water. Gods are gonna trouble the water. See that band all dressed in white. Gods are gonna trouble the water. The leader looks like the Israelite. Gods are gonna trouble the water. Ooh, wait in the water. Oh, wait in the water, children. Wait in the water. God is gonna trouble. Gods are gonna trouble the water. See that band all dressed in red. Gods are gonna trouble the water. Ooh, it looks like the band that Moses led. Gods are gonna trouble the water. Oh, 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 God is gonna trouble gonna trouble the Deliverance in the water my God is gonna trouble gonna trouble the water okay we're back that was Wade in the Water by Cynthia Thomas and tonight we're fortunate to be joined by Erica Pang who teaches at UC Berkeley High School of Business her course interpersonal skills 
and embodied leadership is one of the most sought after in the graduate MBA program. We're also speaking with Dr. Lynn Mara. Erica, um, I want you to talk about, uh, let's jump forward from June to September. And I was feeling worn out and weary and I reached out to you and you helped us. You, let's talk more about that. Sure. Um, yes, I, I was feeling the toll of, I don't know how many months it had been now, you know, um, almost eight or nine months of COVID and um, violence against brown and black people. Um, and I thought, okay, what kind of gathering do I need that would be restorative and healing? And I thought immediately about how uplifted I felt when I was singing with uh, Lynn's acapella group. And so I reached out to Lynn and I sort of imagined, what if we combined um, singing together and the deep listening practice? So um, I asked Lynn if, if, Lynn, I asked you, you know, would you be interested <laughs> in partnering? And um, I said, yes. Well, one of the things was I, I became a certified yoga teacher over the summer, over the summer of 2020. And this kind of actually focused the work that I do as a singer, which is all about the breath and yoga, which is all about the breath. And it kind of brought these two things together. And uh, Eric and I are both science people. I mean, we are clear about the uh, the fact that breathing, actual inspiration and expiration of the breath is the thing that regulates your nervous system. And so it, it became a perfectly natural connection for uh, us to join. I would be bringing uh, singing and yoga to the practice that Erica has already crafted around listening. Yeah, wow. so we've, we've been offering them joy. I think you came to our maybe second gathering yeah. in October. Um, and the music does add a special dimension to it. But there's also music, I mean, movement and conversation. And But for me, listening, I have to tell mm. you, learning to listen without judgment, without inserting myself, without wanting correct, without my emotional response. Learning how to do that and practicing that has been the most valuable thing for me, and I thank you for it. Mm, That's so beautiful just, to it's hear. It's an honor. It's, yeah, I'm so glad it's been supporting you. And I just was going to, you know, you had said, you know, just the listening. And I, I just want to add, we're such a culture of problem solving. And so many people, you know, sometimes we want some advice or guidance, but a lot of the times we just want to be listened to and affirmed. We yes. don't know how to do that. And I think yes. that's what you're talking about, Joy. It's just yes. being with. It's actually a skill and, and a practice. It is mm -hmm. a practice. Ongoing so. practice. Nothing you learn. It's something you practice. And that's like anything. So going forward, how can listeners find out more about uh, you're creating common connection sessions. Sure. Um, you can go to my website, which is www.ericapengconnects.com. And I'll spell out my name. It's E-R-I-C-A-P like Peter, E-N-G, connects.com. 
and uh, we'd love to connect. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate both of you spending the time for sharing yourselves, bringing this gift to our audience. And I want to let everyone know that they can get more information on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, at the end of the show. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show, sadly. I really enjoyed it. So um, all of the information related to the show is on the website. And I want to give a shout-out to our special guests tonight, Erica Pang and Dr. Lynn Morrow. And I want to thank them again for joining us. And don't forget, don't forget, more of their work is there available for you. And I encourage everyone to check it out. Thank you, folks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much, Joy. All right, that's Full Circle tonight. The Full Circle crew is executive producer, Miss M. Myself, Joy Moore, is the I am the production consultant. And our illustrious engineer is Free Willie Franklin. And he's also the t- technical director for Full Circle. Okay, the KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship Program is accepting applications for 2022. If you or someone you know is interested, you can get info about our program and obtain an application at kpfaapprentice.org. That's K-P-F-A-A-P-P-R-E-N-T-I-C-E dot org. Additionally, KPFA always needs your support. We want to thank all who have donated, but we always need help. We depend on you, our listening audience, to keep us going. Even though the fundraiser is ended, you can still donate safely at kpfa.org or mail to KPFA Donation, 1929, Martin Luther King, Berkeley, California, 94704. And thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to please protect your health and your humanity, and stay tuned to KPFA. Up next is Laonda Baita. Before we sign off tonight, we're going to leave you with one more song by the late, great Marvin Gaye. What's going on? What's going on? Good night, everyone. Happy New Year. Love.
See what's going on. 